Hello, lovely friends. I feel like I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Well, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks, have I? <laughs> Two weeks ago, Alice and I uh, went to Northern Ireland, and we went to a conference there called Encounter More at Causeway Coast Vineyard. Who's been to Causeway Coast Vineyard? Wow, it is amazing what the Lord has done over there. We, uh, Aid and I actually a few years ago spoke at the conference about our missional community, and uh, yeah, we just started to build a lovely relationship with them. But it was just lovely to go away and to meet with the Lord outside of this uh, context. Uh, Jesus spoke to Alice and myself, and um, we just had a wonderful uh, time, marriage time over there away uh, without children, uh, which was amazing. Um, last week I was away, sadly, because I had a migraine. Uh, and I know many of you pray for me and have been praying for me for years, me included. Do continue to pray for me. Uh, but didn't Lance do an incredible job in my absence last week? It was great. So many of you will know we're in this series we've called The Last Minor. We're looking at the book of Malachi. Uh, and did week one, and he talked about how we, uh, well, the um, Israelites, but also us, can doubt God's love. And he talked about uh, the fact that God wants our hearts, and he wants to walk with us. And then last, last week, uh, talked about the fact that surrender leads to victory. And he talked about how he doesn't want, uh, God doesn't want us to miss out on the call that's on our lives, but, but it's going to take us to surrender. Well, today we find ourselves in Malachi 2, verses 10 to 16. So let me just dive straight in. Let's read the text. I think it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, if not, there's a Bible in front of you. Do grab it, um, and uh, we'll unpack this together. It says this, "'Do not we all have one Father?' Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judea has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord uh, that the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord God Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Now, a nice easy passage for us to look at this morning. <laughs> Remember where we are in this book. We are 430-some years before uh, Jesus. And in Malachi, what we find, as Anne said in week one, is these six disputes, if you like. They're kind of six things that God is trying to point out to the nation of Israel. And the Israelites are like, 
what do you want about God? And they don't really listen to God. And it's kind of God constantly trying to, if you like, point out the error of their ways, and he's calling them back to himself. Now, I like to look at the book of Malachi uh, as kind of big picture, a spiritual health check. Recently, my car had its yearly health check. It had its MOT. And uh, of course, there's a list of all different things that the car needs to go through in order to make sure that it's fit for purpose. And thankfully, it passed. But when I say spiritual health check, I wonder what things come to mind. What do you think is covered in a spiritual health check? Do you think kind of coming on Sundays... Maybe quiet times, Bible reading, sharing your faith, lots of churchy, Christian-y kind of things. But look, if that's our vision for what a spiritual health check is, today is going to come as a bit of a shock. See, the God of the Bible is the God of everything. And so a real spiritual health check is actually about every part of life, not just the Christian stuff. See, the person who is involved on Sundays, who, who serves on every single team, but is cutting corners at work, maybe he's not paying his taxes, is not in good spiritual health, however impressive they may seem here on a Sunday. The student who is a superstar of the CU, proper enthusiastic about everything, but is an absolute nightmare to live with, is not in good spiritual health, whatever others may think of them. The spouse who worships every Sunday, hands in the air, but is unreasonable, argumentative, even abusive to their partners, is not in good spiritual health, even though they may seem spiritually passionate. Real spiritual health comes when we live fully in the truth of the kingdom of God, dependent on the Spirit of God, empowering us to be who he's called us to be in all areas of life. Spiritual health, actually, in this passage, is seen very, very clearly in relationships. So let's look at the first part of this passage again. Do we not all have one Father, Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors? I mean, it's all about our relationship with God. Why do we not profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? What Malachi is saying here in talking to God's people, God's family, is that there is one Father, God, who has called them into this special covenant relationship with himself as one people. And he's saying, when you're unfaithful to one another within the family of God, you're actually breaking your bond of faithfulness. I kind of look at this as a bit like if you're a parent here today, it's like having a couple of kids in front of you. You you dearly love them, and they're absolutely going at each other hell for leather. And you're like, just, just stop it. I, I love you both. Like, I, just stop. Ah! And it's a bit like that here in our relationship with God. 
But then we see this pretty firm language, right? Why do you profane my covenant, he says? Why do you treat it with contempt, with irreverence, with disrespect, by messing up your relationships with one another? To put it bluntly, when we mistreat God's people, we mistreat God. It's as simple as that. We would probably do well to remember that the next time we're being a bit divisive within church life, or the next time that you're about to gossip about somebody in the church, or when you're about to refuse to forgive somebody in the church. Remember, when we mistreat God's people, we mistreat God himself. And we see it in the New Testament, don't we? In 1 John 4.20, it says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. You see, there is a definite link between our relationships with one another in church family life and our relationship with God. And that's the broad principle that kicks off this little but super challenging section of Malachi's prophecy. But then he applies it specifically to the issue of marriages within Israel. Now, this is difficult and sensitive territory. Please hear me, church. I'm going to try and cover this difficult text, but I'm going to cover it with the heart of a pastor, rather than any kind of hardline legalism. And certain passages in Scripture are difficult, really difficult. I've been studying this for the last three weeks. But we still need to study the difficult bits. And let me say this. Whenever we talk about the issues of marriage and sexual ethics within the church, none of us stand on the moral high ground. All of us are broken. All of us have stories and struggles and mistakes that we've made. But we must come to God's word and wrestle with the tough bits in order to appreciate the truth. So Malachi first focuses on two areas that concern God in this passage. There's what he calls the detestable thing, which is Israelites marrying women from other nations who are worshipping foreign gods. That might seem strange. Uh, We'll unpack that in a minute. And there's another thing, which is to do with unfaithfulness in marriage. So let's deal with the detestable thing first. And that is that Israelites at this time are starting to marry women from other nations. Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judea has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Malachi is pointing out here that there are significant issues in joining the people of God to the people who are worshipping foreign gods. The, the God of Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, integrated, if you like, with pagan gods. I think the important point that Malachi is trying to make here 
is that marriage changes us. Husbands, would you say that marriage has changed you? Wives, would you say that uh, your marriage has changed you? I mean, I only know it for myself, but, but marriage changes us because close relationships change us, change us. So when the Israelite men married pagan women, their hearts began to change, and they began to worship these other uh, gods, these other idols. So the sanctuary of the temple was desecrated because they were being unfaithful to their God, to the God of Israel. And because of this, Malachi insists that, that, that this must be dealt with very firmly. Verse 12, as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. I mean, this is pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Now, he's not saying don't marry foreign women because you'll then be kicked out of the church. No, he's not saying that. The issue here wasn't about race, but about faith. There are many people in this precious church that have married people from different races and cultures, which is beautiful. Remember in the Old Testament scriptures, we see Boaz from Israel marry Ruth from Moab. She'd come to find protection in Israel's God, and it was a very good thing. It's a beautiful story of salvation. But the issue here is not race, but faith. And the thing is, there are severe warnings from Israel's history that they would do well to remember. Think about the great King Solomon, in some ways one of the most impressive kings in all of Israel, and yet towards the end of his life, in 1 Kings 11, it says that he loved many foreign women. In fact, he had 700 wives, many of whom who, were, who had pagan faiths. And I quote, this is from 1 Kings 11, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Now, if we read the rest of the story of Israel, literally from this point onwards, things fall apart, leading ultimately to the breakup of the, and the division of the kingdoms, but then the exile of the Israelites being expelled from their own land, first to Syria and then to Babylon. And we can trace that right back to this moment and the great King Solomon's heart going astray when he married women from other nations who worshipped other gods. And let me tell you, Malachi is writing this book after the exile, when the Israelites are back in the land. His contemporary Nehemiah also had been fighting this same battle. We read it in Nehemiah 10 uh, to 13. It says, Nehemiah realized that this problem of intermarriage was a key issue. And at the end of the book of Nehemiah, even though he's tried to confront this, he's still got this fight on his hands because the people, they don't want to listen. They won't accept what he says. So it's not surprising that Malachi comes along and wants to deal with this so strongly. Now in the New Testament, things are a little different. God's people are no longer a nation, but there are people gathered from all nations, 
So there's not this issue of marrying across racial barriers. As I've said, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Nonetheless, when the Apostle Paul is talking to Christian widows about marrying again, he says this. He says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. So faith still is an issue when thinking about marriage. Now, of course, we all know wonderful Christians, even in this church family, who are married to people who aren't following Jesus. For some of you here today, that's, that's your truth. And I know, because I have spoken to a number of you, that that can be really challenging at times for all kinds of different reasons. But the New Testament is very clear that in those circumstances, we should remain married. We should be willing and committed to our marriage. We should make every effort to make our marriage strong. And we should always seek that through our lives, we would demonstrate the good news of Jesus with our unbelieving partners, hoping that one day that they themselves might come to know the Lord as well. He wants to help us in our marriage. Our marriages. God's way isn't narrow and restrictive. He wants us to flourish and grow. Secondly, the thing that he talks about, which is equally as difficult, is this thing he calls another thing. And that's to do with unfaithfulness in marriage. Verse 13 to 16 says this, another thing you do You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. So why? You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant." It's the same issue again. It's unfaithfulness, but now he's talking about unfaithfulness expressed in the breaking of marriage covenants. And it's a really relevant issue for us in today's society, isn't it? According to the Office of National Statistics in England and Wales, last year there were 103,592 divorces. 10% of divorces were granted as a a result of adultery. In 2013, I couldn't find any more up-to-date statistics, was that out of the 48% of couples divorcing, they had one child at home under 16. It's really hard, and it's, it's messy. And let's face it, it isn't just an out there issue. Most of us in this room will have experienced the pain of divorce ourselves, either in our own lives or in the lives of those around us. It's not just an out there issue. It's an in here issue. And we as a church must try and wrestle with this in a godly way. See, in Malachi's day, it was predominantly men divorcing their wives. It just seemed to be that way in this culture, which is predominantly linked to the first problem that we looked at, which is the detestable thing, men abandoning their wives to go after pagan uh, wives. 
But either way, unfaithfulness in their marriages was a deep grief to the heart of God. And so much so, it says that he was no longer willing to accept their temple sacrifices and their prayer. Hear this, church. God never accepts religion as a substitute for obedience. God never accepts religion as a substitute for obedience. And it's very clear in the Old Testament that it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And unfaithfulness in marriage was an expression of unfaithfulness to God, which we've already seen. Marriage was a gift to the Israelites and to us to honor and protect. And as I said earlier, when we mistreat the people of God, we mistreat God. And it's exactly the same here. If we damage a marriage, we damage our relationship with God because marriage is dear to the heart of God. So why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal about integrity in marriage? Well, let's see in verses 15 and 16. We find all kinds of questions around translation and text here, to be honest, but they do give some reasons why it's good to protect our marriages. See, marriage is a covenant, a special uh, relationship based on a promise. And God is the witness to that promise, beginning of verse 14. The Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. So the covenant of marriage is witnessed by God. It's, it's meant to mirror the relationship between God and his people. It's a relationship of profound commitment. That's what marriage is meant to be. So to be honest with you, our marriages aren't just about us and our spouse. No, no, no. God is in the picture. He is the witness between us. We make our vows in his presence when we marry. And if we break our vows, we also do that in his presence. He is the witness between us. And then in verse 15, God made us and therefore we belong to him. It says, hasn't God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit, and that's important when we think of marriage. Because what it tells us is that marriage isn't just this commodity that we consume for our own pleasure, but rather it's a holy gift of God to use with care for his glory for the extension of the kingdom of God. So look, if you're here today, and your marriage isn't in a great place. Let me sensitively and lovingly encourage you not to give up. Invest in your marriage to try and warm it up. Do everything you can. Go to any and every lengths to try and save it because you belong to God. He's the witness of your marriage covenant. Thirdly, we must consider any children we may have. Verse 15, it says, and what does the one God seek godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Now, of course, there's no guarantee that good and a godly marriage will produce good and godly children. And some of us understand this firsthand, right? And of course, it's true that there are many single parents within our church that are amazing with their kids. They deserve our love and our respect and our support. Nonetheless, 
if we want children to trust in the faithful covenant love of God, what could be a more powerful witness to them than to see a faithful covenant love of marriage? Now, finally, we see here in our text that divorce damages people. This is a really, really hard verse to translate, but I think the NIV probably has it about right. It says, The man who hates and divorces his wife says, The Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. And any pastor can tell you that unfaithfulness in marriage brings so much hurt, so much pain, so much heartache, it probably is worthy of the term violence to describe it. And so, end of verse 15, it says, Be on your guard. Guard your spirit. Watch your inner life. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And in the New Testament, Jesus is asked in Matthew 19 about divorce and remarriage. And interestingly, he replies by not really talking about divorce, but instead he talks about marriage. And it's exactly the same here with Malachi. God is far more interested in helping us work at our marriages than he is for providing grounds for legitimate divorce. That's his heart because marriage is a holy, sacred gift to us. Nonetheless, again, as a pastor, I've seen the immense pain that can come in a marriage broken by unfaithfulness or adultery or abuse or abandonment. And of course, I'm full of admiration for couples who seek help early together, who work through problems together, who work through stuff before it escalates. And it's wonderful to see reconciliation take place in a marriage. But I also understand that's not always possible. And sometimes, with heavy hearts, we have to travel the painful road of divorce or separation with people that we love. And not just I understand that as a pastor, but God understands that. And God made provision for divorce in those situations, as far as I can see, adultery, abuse, abandonment uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he makes provision for this too. But not as a requirement, but as a possibility in those circumstances. And church, we need to work really hard to be the supporting, healing community for those going through divorce. So in conclusion, as we come into land, firstly, if you're married here today, invest in your marriage. Prioritize one another. Maybe go on some marriage courses to strengthen you in your marriage. That's not a weakness to say, oh, my marriage is falling apart, but just to add and to strengthen what you already have. Regularly talk to each other about your marriage. Maybe be accountable to another couple within our church. And let me just say, for any of you that are on the brink of unfaithfulness, run from temptation. If you're on the verge of doing either of those two things that, uh, that, God, uh, that Malachi talks about at the beginning of this um, message, running off with another woman or marital unfaithfulness, run from temptation. Maybe even consider drastic action, like change your phone number 
Leave your job. Move house if you have to, to avoid unfaithfulness. Or at least today, why don't you confide in somebody you trust in this church who can hold you to account? Don't play with fire because it burns. Let me encourage you to seek help early if you're struggling in your marriage. And I know it can be really hard to admit that. But I tell you what, it only gets harder the longer that we leave it. Talk to your life group leaders. Maybe meet up with some of our our pastoral, wonderful pastoral care team here and talk. And let me say this sensitively. But if your spouse is here today and they feel like you need to get help, don't drag your heels. Be courageous. Reach out. Face issues and work through them. See, if we actually want to see conflicts resolved, then we have to move towards each other and learn the wisdom of of compromise and of negotiation. Secondly, for all of us, love people in our church that are married, especially those that are going through a tough patch at the moment. Let's be intentional about loving people in church who are married, and maybe especially for those who are married and their spouse doesn't yet know Jesus. And I'd also say, let's work extremely hard to love those who are going through divorce. It can be so difficult, so crushing, and a supportive church family can and should make all the difference. Let's reflect God's love, as he says in Malachi, where it says, rise with healing in his wings. Rise coastline with healing in your wings wings. We, we want to be that kind of a community, don't we? Hello? A healing community for the hurting, for those that are broken by the struggles in their marriages. And let me just say this, look, if you're reflecting on your life this morning, if in some way what I've said has brought up some kind of shame or guilt, let me just say to you, we're all in the same boat here. We've not all made the same mistakes, but we have all made mistakes. And what you need to know today is that the grace of God extends towards all of us, especially towards the mistakes that we've made in our marriages and in our sexual experiences. And for all those that struggle, the gospel is good news because grace abounds. If you remember nothing from this talk today, remember that Unfaithfulness to others in our relationships, and especially in our marriage, is unfaithfulness to God. Jesus said that by this, that all people would know that we are healthy disciples. Not by how busy we are, not by how many theological arguments we can win, not by how mega gifted we are, but simply that we love one another because God is love. And that was my best effort at a very difficult passage. (laughs) God bless you.